You're listening to the Radio and Audio Media Podcast, where we showcase stories and scholarship about emerging trends, historical contexts, and the diverse cultures of radio and audio media. I'm your host, Jennifer Williamson, radio station manager and adjunct professor at Virginia State University. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Heather Burks, executive director of the Broadcast Education Association, about the past, present, and future of BEA. Can you talk about BEA itself? What is BEA? And give us a maybe just a brief history. So it's kind of interesting. And thank you for referring to it as BEA, because we've gone through somewhat of a change over time. We've been trying to brand ourselves more as BEA, more than Broadcast Education Association. So we were formed by the National Association of Broadcasters over 65 years ago now. They had created us as the bridge between the professional and academic worlds. And so the first person, the first executive director of BEA, it was called something different at the time, but they actually worked for NAB. And then as BEA became bigger, we broke out as our own independent organization, still with that same mission, though, the bridge between the professional and academic worlds. Originally, it was more of the academic research heavy kind of slant. But then as we changed as an organization, we've got so many members that are professionals that are teaching now too. So we've got all these creative scholars as well. So now if you fast forward, we really are an academic media organization for faculty members, for students, for professionals. We are a hybrid organization of traditional researchers that are doing journal articles and papers and books, and then creative scholars, documentary producers, podcasters, news folks, cinematographers, and everything in between. And again, that's for faculty and for students. Well, I can imagine you've had to evolve. You know, you've had to go with the times, or you've had to expand whatever the offerings have been. What changes have you seen that have been the biggest ones, you know, past 15 plus years? I would say the biggest changes have been the merging of the research and the creative worlds. We have so many more members now that are doing both of those things. A couple of things. One, BEA is beyond broadcast. You know, the B is not just for broadcast. Those worlds that are all just coming together, right? Like this podcast. I mean, this wasn't a thing 15 years ago. So it's kind of, it's exciting. It's a really exciting time. And our faculty members have been, I mean, they're amazing. Part of it is because there are so many professionals too that are members of BEA and that I work with, but it's like pick up things on a dime and see the change that you have to do. And I try and take that all in and use that. Right. Well, you mentioned that the organization is a bridge. I love that word because Without me knowing the mission of the organization, I was invited first and foremost. My first BEA convention was being on a panel. Uh, I knew nothing about the organization. I just came because someone asked me to be on a panel. It was in Vegas, fun, you know. I get there and I think I presented the first day, first morning. So the rest of it was just all mine. And I can say I felt immediately at home. I made lots of friends right away, and they are people I still talk to to this day. And on top of all that, it really helped me as a professional turned professor. You know, that bridge between those two worlds is almost sometimes non-existent. It's like one day you're a professional and someone asks you next day, can you teach? And no one teaches you how. (laughs) So how would you say BEA helps build that bridge? 
So we're structured as an organization with 19 different interest divisions. We have over 250 sessions and events that happen during the convention. People really find their places. If you're interested in radio and audio media, you know, you'll start working with the folks that are in that RAM division. It's very easy to find your niche. And I'd say that our members are really welcoming and they do spot new people. They do want to help and to answer questions and to see what they can do. But I think those interest divisions really help. They don't feel like silos. And the way that our conference is constructed is we've got those tracks with those interest divisions, but they're co-sponsored interest divisions. You'll very typically see a radio and audio media pairing together with student media advisors. It's, it's a good way for people to, to find their natural place and to find people that they can connect with. And we will often be members of more than one interest division for that reason. Can you talk about the different interest divisions outside of the one that's, you know, putting this podcast thing on? Yeah. So again, we've got 19 of them ranging from documentary to news, to research, to production aesthetics, courses, curriculum, administration, history, writing, the interest divisions that we have, they've got their track at the convention and they've got sessions. And then also eight of our interest divisions have creative competitions through the Festival of Media Arts as well. Talk about the Festival of Media Arts, because that was the one thing that definitely impressed me my first year. Uh, Number one, how it was put on. I felt like I was at the Oscars or something. (laughs) And to see, you know, students and faculty and staff awarded for their work, you know, that was really awesome. Talk about that. It's pretty amazing. It's an international creative competition. It's got 15 different competitions. There are eight for students and there are seven for faculty. We get more for students. Our peak year, we've probably gotten 1750 um, entries, but with the pandemic, we've kind of gone back down with our numbers a little bit. We get just over 1500 submissions. Really exciting. So we've got the student categories and faculty, news, sports, script writing, documentary, audio, film and video. The process is actually it's pretty impressive when the with spreadsheets and the winners start coming in. We're kind of like geek out as a staff because we're like, oh, who's coming in this year? We get kind of excited. All of our creative um, submissions are reviewed by at least three people each piece. So you do the math and you think about how many reviewers we need to have that. That's 1,700 submissions. Every single one of those has to be reviewed by three people. We do that because we want to make sure that our creative content is being reviewed at the same level as a traditional research publication. You submit to a journal and you're going to get that peer-reviewed content. We also try and keep with that 20% acceptance rate for it. So we hold that up to the highest standards, just like we do for our, our traditional research. So each of those competitions in Las Vegas, each competition has its own award ceremony, you know, first, second, third place, awards of excellence. And then we have a best of competition. That is our red carpet event that we have in Las Vegas. And we've got the best of winners in each of those categories. You've got that best student documentary, best faculty documentary. And I will tell you, you see them accept those awards you see on this huge screen, you see the pieces that they've done and you see when they're accepting their crystal award and that's like passion. It's amazing. It makes you feel so good because you know the work that they've put into all of this. And I think the other thing, it's hard for creative faculty to get tenure and promotion. 
this avenue and a, like a stamp of approval for them. It's amazing. And I'll just add that with the pandemic going on, we had funding from the King Family Foundation, who's been amazing. The Charles and Lucille King Family Foundation that was managed by Diana King. And when she died a few years ago, we weren't sure what was going to happen. You know, we could look for other funding opportunities, but when they gave us a million dollar grant, they believed in this event so much that she said when she died, part of it was to give back, to give her money to these organizations. And that was one of the most amazing things that could have happened to us, I think, as an organization to really put that stamp of approval on the creative scholarship that our members do. Yeah, that's really awesome because you see, like you said, these awesome works that are really inspirational to those who see them because they say, wow, you know, I do stuff like this. I should enter next year. Or wow, people are really doing some great work to get just the recognition and then a check. You know, that's that's really great. Well, let's talk about involvement in BEA. You talked about that before and you know, it's so welcoming. And I know that my first year, people were ready to make me vice president of things. I'm like, you don't know me yet. But it's awesome that you can get involved so easily in BEA. Talk about that level of membership beyond just being a member. You know, lots of ways to get involved. The interest divisions, they've all got their paper competitions, the creative competitions. You can get involved as a chair of one of those competitions. You can get involved as a reviewer for creative or for papers. If you're, you know, want to do a newsletter, if you want to do social media, you can do all of those things through the interest divisions. Of course, you can always just participate on a panel or submit papers and creative work as well. We also have several different committees. We've got a scholarship committee and a research committee and a publications committee. We're always looking for people to participate in those as well. If publications is one of your strong suits, my gosh, we would welcome someone to come in to help us with that. We've got amazing people. They're usually two consecutive three-year terms. People move up through the ranks to be the chair of some of those committees. But then we also have a full board. Our board is comprised of regional representatives that are voted by geographic districts. They're voted in and they each have two-year terms. We also have someone who kind of oversees all of the interest division representatives. And then we also have a representative for international and a representative for two-year schools on the board. Let's talk about student membership. We've talked a lot about professionals and we've mentioned students a little bit, but what can students get out of being a BEA member and how do students become a member? We changed our membership model for students about eight to 10 years ago. Now, if you are a full-time undergraduate student at a BEA member institution, there's no cost for you to join. Student member in particular, you can apply for scholarships. Uh, we've got over $30,000 in scholarships that we give every year. We've got a series of competitions that we offer. This year, for example, we're doing a social change, a PSA competition. We also did that last year, racial justice and social change. You can apply to be one of our multimedia journalists, kind of an intern that we have at our convention in Las Vegas. And we've brought anywhere from four to six students to that, which is great. And also you can apply to be one of our radio show student scholars. We've done this program for seven years and it provides a complimentary registration to attend. So that's about 125 to 150 complimentary registrations that we'll give to students. Wow. Well, I know that BEA is also doing some things behind the scenes to, you know, 
diversity, equity, and inclusion. Can you talk about those initiatives? We hired a faculty fellow, George Daniels, from the University of Alabama to be our first faculty fellow of diversity and inclusion. And we've always had a diversity inclusion committee that work on awards and paper competitions and with pulling out festival submissions and more of like organizational diversity inclusion initiatives. But George has done this unreal grassroots effort with calling up HBCUs and having Zoom calls with faculty from them. Lots of members of BEA have come in. We've done a little presentation from them and really tried to talk to them to see what's missing from what they have, which is unfortunately a lot. You know, what kind of opportunities can we help give their students? What can we do as an organization to help? what's missing and where can we fit in with those missing pieces. And I think the other thing too, is even though we're making these awesome contacts with HBCUs, offering complimentary membership to the schools and to the students, and now to a faculty member there as well, a lot of them still for financial purposes, their budgets are going to be cut or they'll say, you're not just not allowed to travel, but still we can have virtual components and meetings and professional development opportunities with the folks at these schools too, with the faculty and the students. Actually, back to the podcasting, we were having a conversation with Clark Atlanta. It was probably about a year ago, and they were talking about starting a podcast course in the fall on creating, developing, producing, writing, marketing for a podcast, everything about creating a podcast. While this was all going on, I was also part of the Library of American Broadcasting Foundation board, and I was having meetings with them and this production company at Benstown about how do we get to schools? How do we connect with people? What can we do? How can we bring the Library of American Broadcasting and the history component of broadcasting with everything? So all of this kind of came together and created a partnership between Benstown between the Library of American Broadcasting Foundation and between Clark Atlanta. So this past fall, they did a course on creating a podcast. So they had different groups break out. They took the content from the archives at the Library of American Broadcasting Foundation. The professionals at Benstown served as mentors for the students and met with them through the magical power of Zoom and something that wouldn't have happened before. And I was going to ask you, what keeps you going? Because you can get pretty burned out on this stuff. But I think the beauty of doing anything broadcasting related is it's always changing, even when it's the same. So what keeps you going, you know, year to year? No day is like another, which is one of the things that keeps me going. I love that. I love seeing like a final product of something. I like a bow that looks nice on something and I like to see it and present it and then move on to do something else. Oh, I love it too. I love that bow. So what would you say is the plan for BEA? What's the goal? What do you see in BEA's future? Our executive committee has got a strategic planning meeting in a few weeks. I'm like, God, this is a This is a hard time to come up with a strategic plan. The world is a very diverse place. And if we're not embracing that even more every day, we're going to have a problem on our hands. So what else can we do to really push that forward? You know, the faculty and students can obviously coexist at the convention. We've got a career fair and all of that for the students. But what else can we do to give them their package with a bow on it? You know what I mean? That this is for you, students. This is a combined thing for students and faculty. And then this is for faculty. Well, to tie a bow on this conversation, 
But what would you say to people who are not a member of BEA? Tell them why BEA would be beneficial to them. You know, if you are a faculty member and take a look at our website, beaweb.org, take a look at those interest divisions, take a look at their missions and, to, and see what they do. I promise you one of them will resonate with you. If you want to get involved and make a change, whether it's in your school, whether it's in your classes, whether it's projects that you have or students that you want to touch, we've got all of these amazing people as resources and also content as resources at the convention that can help you be a better mentor for these students, a better colleague to your faculty members. And if people can't come to the conventions, you mentioned budgets might be a little crunched right now. What does BEA offer to people outside of the convention? So we've got a virtual component of the convention now as well. We are going to be opening up our interest divisions, those interest division meetings to you know, meet people who are, are like-minded to members, not just to people who are attending the convention. They're all going to be held virtually, partially so that we can actually open the doors to all of our members and not just people who come to the convention. So we've got that. And then also we just launched in the fall and we're going to be doing much more with it too, a community called BEA Connect. It's a way that different than social media, this is a way really to share resources with other members. We're going to be having a curriculum exchange, a syllabus exchange on there. So it's a way for you to connect with other faculty members without going to the convention. And it'll be live. It'll be always available. So if you've got something coming up, you don't have to search through newsletters or search through the website. It's going to be taggable through BEA Connect too. So you could actually search through the tags that are there and syllabus exchange and then pop up the different ideas. That's awesome. And we've actually started to do some of that in our small groups. Again, thank you, Zoom. <laughs> we're, we're doing all of that. We're connecting and we're exchanging syllabi. And it's really been a great time to make something out of this tough time we've been going through. To be on Zoom and think that it was going to be impersonal. It's like I said, it's turned out to be the most personal thing in BEA, at least, you know, in that aspect. So thank you for the time. Thank you for the interview. And once again, how can people get more information about BEA? They can email me directly. I'm pretty good at responding to emails. My email is heather at beaweb.org, or you can go check out our website, www.beaweb.org. And you're also social. In our social, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're at BEA Web Tweets on Twitter. On Facebook, search for Broadcast Education Association. You'll find us. Lots of our interest divisions have their own um, social pages as well. This has been the Radio and Audio Media Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Williamson, radio station manager and adjunct professor at Virginia State University. Our technical producer was Jenna Lovato. I've been speaking today with Heather Burks, executive director of BEA. This episode was recorded on Riverside.fm, the easiest way to record podcasts and videos in studio quality from anywhere. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.